Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. We are going to go in our Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be back into our study, Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, I have heard that some people may struggle with lust. So I'm going to just try to do my best and relate to those people who probably aren't here, maybe not online, but somewhere out there, there are people who wrestle with temptation. All right, just, just, uh, just throwing that out there, all right? Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 27 through 30. Last time, uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at Jesus dealing with anger. And I've heard there's some people that lose their temper and get overly frustrated. So I hope that sermon was helpful too. All right. Let's just dispel with all the hypocrisy, right? This is a mountain we're going to climb today. Jesus just punched us in the gut when it came to anger. And Jesus is going to open every closet in every part of our hearts and lives when he deals with lust. What's the difference between love and lust? Love comes down from God. Lust comes up from hell. If you want to just cut to the, cut to the chase, right? Love builds up. It nourishes Love lust destroys. Lust steals, takes what doesn't belong to it. Love serves. What is best for them? What is best for him? What is best for her? Love produces good. When you are loved, it brings good results. Lust produces guilt. Ugh. Thoughts, actions, words. Oswald Chambers, he said it this way. He said, love will wait for seven years. You remember Jacob in the Old Testament? But lust won't wait for two seconds. Now, as we enter into this section of our study today, sexual expression, sexual desire, sexual enjoyment. Who created it? God did. Let's dispense with the notion that to follow after God is boring, no fun, and just prudish. God is the one who created us and gave us every drive that we have. Where do you think the joy came from? It came from God. Within marriage, sexuality is good. It's not bad. It's actually good by God's design. When sexual intimacy takes place within the sacred bonds of marriage, it's like fire in the fireplace. You, put, you keep the fire in the fireplace, the house is warmed. Inside of marriage, no fire in the fireplace, the house is cold. It's not right. The fire outside of the fire, fireplace, outside of the bounds of marriage, any sexual, sexual 
relationships, sexual thoughts outside of marriage, and it's the fire outside of the fireplace that burns everything down. A definition of lust is this. It's an intense or unbridled sexual desire. Anywhere outside the bonds of biblically defined marriage. I'm going to read it again. I think this captures the heart of what Jesus is saying, and this captures the heart of a biblical view of marriage and the family and sexuality. Lust is an intense or unbridled desire. It's just not saying no. Anywhere outside of the bonds of biblically defined marriage. What's biblically defined marriage? One man, one woman for life. Genesis, Matthew 19, Jesus echoed that when he was asked the question about divorce. And we will look at that next Sunday. With that biblical definition, do you realize how out of sync we are with the culture? Jesus' message was not politically correct or religiously correct in his day 2,000 years ago. And that definition that I have just given you of what lust is describes um, pretty much every nation. There's parades that celebrate the opposite of what that definition is. So we... Go back to the word of God. Are we really out of step? Are we archaic? Are we just, those people are just stuck. They need to get with the times. Well, is that what Jesus says? Because we will stand before God one day, beloved. What does he say about us? What does he say about our lives? We're gonna see it today. Jesus preached from the mountain. He delivered the in-depth description of the upside-down life of those who had been born again into God's kingdom. He was the sinless one. He spoke with all authority. Let's be clear, Jesus Christ is the only one that can deliver this message and actually be able to say, I haven't done what you have done. I haven't thought the way you have thought. I haven't acted the way you have acted. No one else on any stage anywhere else can say that with Jesus. We have one hope. We have one answer to our problem, and it's not us. It's Jesus. So when he spoke, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people all said, he speaks with authority, not like the other guys. He speaks differently. There's a, there's a ring of impact that's coming out of his voice that's coming from he actually does what he says we should do. And we can't. But that's why he came to give us the life that we can't have on our own. He lived his life in complete purity and integrity. And he calls his disciples to follow in his steps. Matthew 5 Verse 27, here we, here we have in this section, six times Jesus is giving an exposition and he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. You think Jesus is serious here? And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members 
than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Three lessons from Jesus is what we're going to unpack today from this text. For us to resist temptation and live in holiness, okay? There's two sides of this. It's not just saying no to sin. No, don't lust, don't have bad thoughts. No, no, no. You have to put something in its place. Pursuing holiness, pursuing righteousness to live. Lust, temptation leads to death, leads to hell. Life, light, the gospel, okay? Number one, first lesson from verse 27, adultery violates the letter of the law. Okay, that's where Jesus begins. Last, last time we were here, he was dealing with, you know, you've heard it said, you should not commit murder. But I say to you, you've hated someone without cause. You've actually committed murder in your heart. Takes it up. He's, he steps it up. Now he's saying, so you, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. This is the seventh command, but I want you to understand this. God cares about our actions. Okay, so technically, truthfully, the command forbids adultery. God cares about what we actually do, our behavior, what we do and what we don't do. This is command number seven, and God was perfectly clear. It's not confusing at all. You shall not commit Adultery. The law was delivered from God to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, verse 14, and it's just clearly no adultery. Dr. Tim Clinton and Dr. Ron Hawkins give a definition of adultery. Okay, what is adultery? It occurs when someone has a sexual relationship with someone other than one's spouse. Okay, so so much for the people like, well, I'm not married yet, so I'm not committing adultery. That's not your spouse. <laughs> you haven't been given them. You haven't stood before God, your family, and all people and said, I'm going to say no to everybody else and yes to you for the rest of my life. And I'll take the good, the bad, the ugly, and I'm giving you the mostly ugly and some, some good every now and then and some bad. That's just a blunt rendering of what vows are. So, you're, you're, you're stealing. so adultery occurs when someone has a sexual relationship with someone other than one's spouse. This may, relationship may or may not include an emotional connection, but I didn't love her. That's no escape. She didn't mean anything to me. It's still violation of the commandment. Adultery is clearly forbidden by God. In Israel's economy, with God in their presence, adultery demanded the death penalty. That's how seriously God took that a man would be faithful to his wife and faithful to lead his family and that a wife would be faithful to her, to her husband because the Lord understood this is a picture of coming, a coming Messiah, a coming Savior. Do not mar the image. Do not mar what it represents. So I think we can agree that God's concern for marriage and the health of the family is much greater than our cultures. Is that a fair assessment? Anybody going to push back and argue on, on that? That God's view, his standard for marriage, human sexuality and purity is way different than where we live today. And it was different than 2,000 years ago. 
Sadly, there are people who call themselves Christians and they follow like manner of everybody who doesn't know Christ and it doesn't seem to be much difference. And I wanna say this, I said this in our prayer time this morning. What I know is that a sermon that makes someone feel bad, like if it comes across like, like, like you're a failure and you've sinned and, and you just stop it, and if it comes across in that kind of a tone, it won't change anybody's heart. I've been through those at youth camps and, and everywhere else. Have you, have you been there where, where somebody makes you feel bad, like it's them making you feel bad as if you're bad and, and you need to be like me? And Like, really? It's look to Jesus. Our sin is what it is. It's awful. And we, there's a Savior. And so I want God to use me to say there's, there's a way out run to the light. Let's go. Follow me. We're running to Jesus. Don't stay in your sin. Somehow I don't think when Jesus sat there with the woman at the well that she felt like Jesus thought that she, he thinks I'm gross. He thinks I'm nasty. No. When she went and told everybody, I come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. Why would she say come and meet him too if he didn't give to her a you are loved? Your sin is why Jesus would have to die. He was looking at a woman that he would die for. That's how much he loved her. And it changed her life. That's what will change us from the inside out and replace our desires. And that's what we're after. Sinclair Ferguson, he says it this way. He says, this is why adultery is so serious. It shatters people's lives, disrupts families. And the greatest offense and despises God. He is our creator. He gave marriage. He made us. He gave us the aspect of sexuality. Not only is it clear this command, but the confusion. There was confusion from the religious leaders. And their confusion was blatant. It was blatant. It was just... We don't like the command, so let's spiritually twist it, and we're going to do what we want to do. And they didn't like Jesus saying, but I say to you. There's always been an appetite for spiritual leaders that allow for sexual immorality. Think about the cults that are formed. And what do you find somewhere in there are men unchecked in the name of whatever they define to be God? These religious leaders had a faulty understanding. Once again, their sermon would have been this. Uh, anybody ever slept with someone, not their wife? No, no, good. All right, well, on to the next commandment. Seven's good, check. Well, wait a second, aren't you married to somebody else that you went, yeah, but don't worry because religiously she burned my eggs and therefore was disqualified for being my wife and they had provisions that if you were offended at your wife, you could just discard her at any moment. In the name of God, and you were still good with God, according to them, and Jesus is saying, no, absolutely not. They had flawed loopholes. A man could get rid of his wife 
according to their religious standards. And the Lord's saying, no, you're wrong. You are teaching your little rules and loopholes as if they were the command of God. And God's command is very abundantly clear. No adultery, no sex outside of marriage, period. And you have gone and said, but it's whatever. That's sin. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Okay, so Jesus is confronting them, and they don't like that, but Jesus is actually loving them. He's calling them to life. I have a resource to recommend. It's John Piper's book, Living in the Light of Money, Sex, and Power, Making the Most of Three Dangerous Opportunities. It's a good resource. It points us forward, and this is one quote from this book. He says, sexual sin grows in the soil of blindness, darkness, and ignorance about the all-satisfying greatness of the beauty of God. I'm going to read this again. Because this is true of every sin. But especially 1 Corinthians 7 of sexual sin, it does something to us. It, it ruins us from the inside out. Sexual sin grows in the soil of blindness, darkness, and ignorance about the all-satisfying greatness of the beauty of God. That is my prayer, is that everyone under the sound of my voice will turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and see sin for what it is. Nasty, disastrous, destructive, unchecked, undealt with, lands your soul in hell forever. They had a fatal standard, and it was their own standard. They weren't living by God's standard. They set their own standards. God's standard's too high, so here's your standard. Oh, we really like that guy. He doesn't make me feel bad. Yeah, but what if he's lying to you? Well, at least I feel better. You know, he sells nice books, and he has a really nice smile with white teeth and perfect hair, so I'm listening to him or her. They're all over the place. We're coming to it next week when Jesus deals with divorce. Okay, John the Baptist, his message against Herod, eh, your marriage there, that's not right. You have your brother's wife. Herodias says he's going to die at the first opportunity. And he did. They come to Jesus and like, well, that message worked on John. Let's try this on Jesus and maybe we can have his head rolling around here somewhere soon. Marriage was given to all men to point us to Christ. So as Christians, we follow Jesus' example. And we begin with, we start with not our standard. We start with the standard of who is God? What, what is his character? He's pure. He's holy. What has he said? Let's go to his word. What has his word said? 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 3. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Lust doesn't know anything about that. Verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter. 
because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This, this is the word of God. If I listen or don't listen, it's not a man's standard. I'm, it's God's word. What, how am I going to respond? Did you hear that God, like a faithful father, takes up and avenges? It doesn't go unnoticed. What has God done? Who is he? What has he said? What has he done? Look in the world. All around his faithfulness, his attributes clearly revealed. Okay, so right out of the, out of the starting gate, adultery violates the letter of the law. So listen to Jesus. There it is. It's simple. It's clear. Number two, lust transgresses the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law. God cares about my thoughts. He's not just concerned with my actions, my behavior. He cares about my thoughts. He cares what you're thinking. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is serious. This is a high definition. This isn't like former President Bill Clinton when caught with Monica Lewinsky and I have never had sex with that woman. What was he doing? Besides lying, he was trying to redefine what is right and wrong. He was trying to put his standard, and now that's just celebrated. Now, Jesus isn't part of that. He's not blessing the religious leaders' defunct definition of what is adultery and what is not adultery. Jesus is actually raising that standard up. He's not taking the standard of Exodus and saying, I need to go higher with it. He's saying it's over here in the dirt being trampled on and it needs to go back up. You need to understand God values the family. God values the home. God has designed the place where children are reared and loved and disciplined and raised for the glory of God in safety and protection. And they're not taken advantage of and they're not left out in the cold. They're not ignored. This is the home. This is God's design. And you've left this standard trampled and he's pulling it back to the front and center and saying, let me tell you how serious God is about this. He cares about our thoughts. Understand, God does not forbid us to look, okay? So we don't shroud our ladies and only let this much be shown of them because that still doesn't deal with the perverted man's heart. A perverted man's heart is still only thinking about what is underneath all of that material. It doesn't solve the problem of the heart. It just masks it and actually puts blame on the, on the woman for her to feel bad about 
her figure that God gave to her as if it's her fault. This is nothing new here. God doesn't forbid the look. I remember seeing a, an interview with uh, Christiana Amanpour on CNN years ago. And she was interviewing someone in a, in a different country with a different religion, and the man would not look at her because she didn't have a veil or wasn't covered, and he, you're not going to allow me to stumble. That is not God. That's just full display. Heart is desperately wicked. Okay, God doesn't forbid that first look. God cares about men. He cares about women. He wants men and women of all ages to thrive and to be loved and to be valued and to be appreciated and to be respected and to be honored because we're made in the image of God. We bear his image. Understand what you're doing when you, when you just have to shroud someone made in the image of God. What's really going on there? God has placed men in the lives of women and children to protect them, to serve them, to love them, not to lust after them, not to take advantage of them, to use, abuse, and discard them. God allows us to be tested. He's sovereign over our testing. Understand this, okay? This, this, this topic of lust how this surfaces in, in many ways once in a marriage, especially in a marriage, and how this fuels the fires of lust. Okay, here's, here's the problem. Men, as we're brought up, as we're with other boys who have men, who have magazines and centerfolds posted in places, and all of these different things that we're exposed to everywhere, now it's worse on all the cell phones and tablets and everywhere. And who's giving most guidance? It's not generally fathers. It's generally the buddies. It's generally the pals. It's in the locker room. It's in the car. It's somewhere where it's just, just street talk. And men have abdicated their leadership role and their role of loving younger men and saying, I've been there. <laughs> it's awful, and let me, let me show you the way. Let, let, follow me. I love you, and I'm not going to throw you away, but there's a standard for you to love, other, to love women rightly. So men, we grow up, and we glamorize, and we idolize, and we fantasize about these images of models of real women, and those models themselves, and then soon to be in years to come, we marry these women and we have daughters, and what they look in the mirror, what the man sees is like, whoa, she's amazing. And then on the other side of that coin, women look in the mirror and they're like, uh, I, don't, I don't like what I see. Now put this in a marriage. And the man is thinking, she will fill this massive space in me and finally make me complete. And all those images and all those magazines and all of those, it just replays in the mind. And then it meets a spouse and she doesn't feel like any of that. And if we're honest, none of those women who are brushed up and touched up and often drugged up to do all that they do in all of those scenes, they don't feel like that either. They feel used and they feel worthless. And God is sovereign over all of it, saying, that's not what I designed for this. This isn't how it's supposed to be. 
this is hurting everybody involved. This isn't what it points to of Jesus' love for his church that would sacrifice. And so you put this in a marriage and you have frustration. And if there's no grace and if there's no love and if there's no gospel, if there's no Jesus in this marriage, then it's just a constant warring of you don't do enough for me and I don't like what I see and you don't do and you didn't, you know, this and you didn't talk, right? And you just, all oh, this back and forth and back and forth. And I'm sure this is where we live. And if God hasn't graciously helped us, then we don't come to a topic like this. We just talk like I did at the beginning and say, somebody out there probably maybe, I've heard of it, they've had a trouble with this. This is it all of our addresses. And God cares. God cares. God cares. He cares about your thoughts. God is not the author of temptation. James 1, 13 let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. I've had someone tell me that. I've prayed for God to take these feelings away and he hasn't taken them away. What is that? That's no different than back in the garden and Adam said, it was the wife you gave me, God. I was fine alone until she came. That thought never came through any husband's mind. Like, I had, you know, and then I got married and I thought it was going to solve. And a wife said I was going to get married. And I thought he was going to protect me and love me. And now he just sits there and watches the TV. Hello, I'm over here. Verse 14 here is the unmasking of the temptation. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, it brings on the child death. That's where sin unchecked is going. Death to your relationships, death to your joy, death, eternal death, if you do not belong to Christ. Jesus is stripping away that a disciple of Jesus can say, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, and I live in sexual immorality and I don't do anything about it. I feel bad every now and then, but I carry on. God forbids not the look. I don't look at women. I don't look at women. She's not my wife. I don't look at women. That, that's ridiculous. God forbids the lustful look. It's that second look. It's Joseph and David. We're gonna talk about these in, in the small group, just comparing and contrasting. Joseph, there's Potiphar's wife, not his wife. Hey, Joey, here I am. He didn't get the second look, he ran for the door. He's looking for the door, I'm out of here. You're not my wife, God hasn't given you to me. I'm out of here, I'm not gonna dishonor God, I'm not gonna dishonor you. David, on the roof, should have been in battle. That can be debated why he's at home when he should have been with his men. And there he is, and he's looking out over the kingdom. It wasn't sin to be tempted and see Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. His sin was when he went back to it, and he looked again, and he kept looking, and the look that, that led to a thought, and I, and I have to have her, and it, that's James 1 just going in action, and it ended up in death. 
That child conceived of that. Uriah was murdered. The child died. Death all over that situation. It would play out in David's family that his, his children would hate each other to the point of murder and incest. Uh, you sow, we reap what we sow. And God cares. Ephesians 5, verse 3, Paul writes, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, remember what I've said? And it's not just don't, 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 don't. Here, do this. Let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. Jesus exposed the severity of hidden sin. Okay, he raised the standard of holiness. And then by this second point, he's exposing the severity of the hidden sin. He says, if you've looked with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. We're guilty and we're defiled from the inside out. Without Christ, we're separated from from God. David thought he pulled off the crime. He thought he got away with it until Nathan showed up. Hey, uh, David, can I tell you something? Something happened in your kingdom. Rich guy, lots of sheep. Visitor came in, had some company. He went down the road, took the one little lamb from a family, poor family, took their lamb, killed the thing, served it up, fed his company. David's self-righteous anger who is this? He needs to die. You want to be in Nathan's shoes? Ooh. You're the man. I'm David, O King. Live forever, we all will somewhere, heaven or hell. You're the man. And David's response, that's what we have to take away from that. You're right. I am wrong. He didn't say, how dare you? He could have. Saul did that. He said, you're right. How could I? And he went and worshiped. Our sin deserves judgment. It deserves hell. We want other people to be punished when they take advantage of us, when they steal from us. And they do wrong against us. But what do we do? We're just like these guys, the religious leaders. I leave me out of the equation of judgment. It's for them and they don't, it shouldn't them. And oh yeah, that's awful. And the Lord's like, I care about what you think. I care about your thoughts. I care about your actions. I care about your thoughts. And our third lesson from Jesus is this, the heart of my sin problem. The heart of my sin problem must be addressed. Notice that he doesn't say we run around and cut everybody else their hand off. You go find the people that are wrong and you let them know. No, no. He's saying start with the person and you see in the mirror. If your right eye causes you to sin, this is graphic language. Tear it out, throw it away. Your right hand, you know, cut it off, throw it away. Why? Because there's hell to pay. What, what Jesus is saying there, what do we not need more of? 
Religion. They had religion. Okay? God cares about my attitude. So we've gone from God caring about my actions. Don't commit adultery. Okay, I haven't. Let's take it to the next level. God cares about my thoughts. If you looked with lust and not a person save Jesus can say, lived and never had a lustful thought. God cares about my thoughts. God cares about my attitude. Now we have to get to the heart. The problem is in here. It's not with someone out there. Now, modesty is a different issue. Setting people up so that they look at you, and so that, that's a different issue than just dressing modestly and going through life, and somebody just has issues that they cannot get victory over of, so they just blame people. What is not needed is more religion. We cannot change our nature on our own. So what do we do? Religious people downplay our problem, deny our problem, dismiss our problem, blame our problem on someone else. Beloved, being human isn't the problem. Well, we're just all human. <laughs> you know, a man's going to do what a man's got to do, you know, right? All, these, all, these, all this shop talk, right? All this locker room, like, you know, I'm just, I'm only a man, any you know, blood flowing through your veins, and how you're not going to look at that and see, and that's all foolish, coarse talk, jesting. It shouldn't be hinted at among disciples of the Lord Jesus. Being a human isn't the problem. What's our problem? It's being a sinner. If human is the problem, what are you going to do about that? When I grow up, I want to be an alligator. Okay, that's not going to happen. You're made in the image of God. I don't think alligators have lust. No, they have appetites. Okay? You're human. You're made in the image of God. The problem is you're a sinner. And I can say there's a problem, but that's like a doctor giving you a diagnosis. Here's your, here's your trouble. This is why you're sick. Okay, thank you, doctor. I'm, and I know you didn't want to tell me that, but is there a solution? Yes. Ah. <sighs> Can you give me the solution? The solution is Jesus, the sinless one, the one who knew how defiled you and I really are. And he came anyway and laid down his life to, for you and for me to be forgiven. Becoming more religious will never result in righteousness before God. Remember Matthew 5.20? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Exceed? How are we going to do better than them? Actually, they need a different kind of righteousness. You need a righteousness that is imputed to you. You need like an alert coming on your phone. You just had a million dollars put into your account. It was imputed into your, accredited to your account. Where'd that come from? Oh, I want to thank that person. What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. I just wanted to show you grace. This is what righteousness is from God. In, in a similar way, we deserve hell, and instead Christ came and he paid our fine. He lived a life, the sinless life that you and I can never live. And he went to the cross where we should be. And he died in our place as our substitute. 
This is the only message that will change a heart and give us a new love and and a new affection and a new perspective. It's gospel transformation. Self-righteousness won't get it done. I'm gonna be baptized and that'll help me. I'm gonna give more money. I'm gonna join a church. I'm gonna do good. I'll go on a mission trip. I'll do all these things. That won't help. That won't make you right with God vertically. Therefore, you can't be ultimately right with one another horizontally. It all begins and ends with God. And when we're right vertically, it's gonna show up in how we relate to others horizontally. It's gonna change how we function together as husbands and wives and as parents and as siblings and as children. It's gonna change everything about how we function as church members. It changes and has changed and will change how I serve as a pastor will be known for humility, purity, grace, integrity. Did I say grace? Instead of going around finding everybody else's faults. Jesus is not advocating that we actually chop off limbs of our body because that won't help. What he's saying is we don't need more religion. We are in need of a complete rebirth. Remember what he told Nicodemus? You've been born once. Good job, Nicodemus. You had nothing to do with that. Now you need to be born again. And if you're not born again, John 3, 3, you will not see the kingdom of God. You can be as righteous as you want to be. Okay, fine, Lord, I'll make a new commitment. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. No more magazines, no more movies, no more porn sites, no more adultery, no more. This is a message on Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) Do you... I can't even get my mind wrapped around the sex trafficking that happens around the Super Bowl when it came to Detroit in 06 and everywhere else it goes. The people who are taken advantage of and it's all, this is what you do. I was listening to ESPN Radio in Tampa, a a Hall of Famer from Tampa just, just talking about that and it had to go to the red light district. COVID. They're gonna do just fine. They're not doing just fine. It's disaster all over the place of brokenness and emptiness. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we're changed from the inside out. When we repent and we receive the Holy Spirit, we're given a new heart that loves God and therefore we're alive to God and we're dead to sin and we go on rightly the rest of our lives killing sin. Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. This is a war going on. For these are opposed to each other. You think? Think so? To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We're not, okay, fine, pastor, I'll become more righteous. Won't work. I've tried it. You have to have a better love. It's the love that changes us. So how are we going to, if we need a rebirth, then what is Jesus saying? Deal with lust personally, all right? This is personal. This is my responsibility to address before God, to be honest about it. It happens in the context of Christian community. 
within small groups. This is where we are genuine. This is why we divide down and we, we are men with men and women with women to just have time to pray together and talk together and, and not just air out all the dirty laundry. That's not it, but to be real and to be authentic, to walk together, worship, walk, work. If you're not walking together, then you come in and there's still this nagging, what is wrong with me? And this war that is going on inside until you become honest about the struggle and you find out that there are other people who are also going through the struggle. And where do I find hope? It's in Christ. What does that really look like? Get in community and figure it out. God has used my wife tremendously in growing me in holiness and in righteousness. God has used my family, my children. God has used small group. I thought about it this week and I think about it from time to time. That a small group that I went through with the guys in Illinois 20 some years ago, I reached back out to those guys that I'm connected to this week and just said, remember that time, personal holiness, remember that? how influential that was in my life and for their lives. We have to deal with our sin, our lust. Personally, there are obvious sins of adultery, sins of immorality, should never be the defining pattern of a disciple of Jesus because we have been loved by God, we're changed. Let me say this, for those who have committed adultery, for those who have offended God and you have slept with someone that's not your wife, there is forgiveness. This isn't just the end and you lost and it's over. This is a message that is saying, are, is it time for a change? Are you tired of living that life like a merry-go-round of cycle, of cycle, and the next day into the next day and it's just dirty after filthy, after gross, after disgusting? Is it time for a change? Go to the cross, go to the cross, go to the cross. God cares. That's why every statement, God cares about what you do and I do. He cares about what we think and he cares about our attitude. What's underneath all of it, he cares about that. He, he cares, Romans chapter two and verse four. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. If I can set before this audience Jesus and you see Jesus loves you and he died so that you can be forgiven, so that you can meet him in a way that the woman at the well met him, you'll never be the same. And you won't need motivational speeches and post-it notes to remind you because the spirit of God will live in you and it'll change your appetite what you used to feed on and think you couldn't live without, he'll give you day by day and moment by moment a better passion and a better pleasure and a better joy and you'll be able then to taste on your spiritual palate. That doesn't taste good anymore. That's not worth, that's awful. That's why Jesus died and it won't be because, what will people think about me? What will people say about me? It's because I've been loved. And you and I will do for love what we will never do for law. I've stood on this platform with brides and grooms and they've heard the law. 
and some are living out those vows, and some have thrown the vows in the gutter. And it's heartbreaking. What do we do, Pastor, if we've thrown those vows in the gutter? Answer, go to the cross. Run to the cross. Get there. Personally deal with your offense before God. God cares. If, if anything's going to change us, it's those two words on your screen right there. That will do what no hellfire brimstone preacher parent can ever do. God loves you. God cares. For those who have been hurt by an unfaithful spouse, those are your words right there. God cares. He cares what you have suffered and what you have gone through. He knows. He's not the author of sin, but he sure is impacted by our sin. He cares. There's hope. There can be forgiveness and restoration. And I'm not saying it's just easy and no big deal. It is a big deal. God loves you and God cares what you have gone through. So we have to deal personally with the sins, the obvious sins of adultery. We have to deal with the hidden sins of lust, pornography, entertaining thoughts about being sexually intimate with someone that is not our spouse. That cannot define a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Listen, if that is who you are, that that's what you go through and you say, but I'm a Christian, you need to, you need to pop that balloon. You need to shatter that. Why am I saying I'm a Christian if I live in sin and immorality? That's the question you have to ask. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm saying don't put your eyes back to sleep in sin saying I'm a Christian. I prayed when I was a kid and I got baptized so it'll all be all right. It may not be. Jesus said hell is real and you need to deal with your sin, the obvious sins and the hidden sins. How do we deal with it? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. He will cleanse us. You come to him. Fight this temptation. Admit it. Just simply say, I'm wrong. I have done wrong. I've offended. Make that right. Go to the cross. Go to Jesus. Fight temptation with the word of God. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. That's how. What did Jesus use in temptation? It is written. It is written. It is written. He didn't say, for I've heard it said. Somebody said. He said, it is written. The word of God. Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. If you are a child of God, the last thing you want to do is offend your father in heaven because he loves you and you will do for love what you will never do for the law handed down on the mountain to Moses. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. What do people think? Uh-uh. That won't get it done. James 5, 16. Get in the small group community. Get in there. Change your schedule. Look, today's the Super Bowl. Cut your arm off and get to small group. Put your eye out and get to small group. Who cares about it if this is what's taking you down? That's what Jesus is saying. Well, what if I, if I really tell what I'm really going on and you know, people will think bad of me? God knows everything about you and he still loves you. What are you running from? Where are you running to? 
Therefore, James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And listen, beloved, if we're praying in our minds and our hearts, and I wish I could tell you that as a pastor, I don't have this struggle. I'm 25 years in ministry, if there's one area that just wreaks havoc on my heart, it's battling lust to render ineffectiveness in ministry, ineffectiveness as a husband, ineffectiveness as a father. What's the answer? Remember, repent, return. Sum all that up, go to Jesus. He's your only hope. He's my only hope. Go to Jesus. What is he going to say? Oh, I didn't know that was going on. He knows it all, and he laid down his life. That's love like you can't find that love anywhere else. Choose the greatest pleasure and take the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, therefore, Paul writes, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. This does not mean that you will not go through hard times because I heard it said, God won't let me go through hard times. You will go through hard times. The point is you will not be tempted that you ever have to say as a child of God, I had to sin. I just had to sin. From this study, Bruce Wilkinson, I'm just going to share seven truths about your temptation. Seven truths. As he, uh, it'll, it'll, come up on the, it'll come up on the screen. Number one, you are in dangerous territory when you think you can't fail. I can make these available whether you want to write these down or I can, I can post these out or send them out in an email. If you think, that's not a problem for me, you're in danger. Number two, your temptations seek to overtake you. This is what 1 Corinthians is talking about. They're after you. They're, over, they're going after you. Number three, your temptations aren't unique to you but are common. What you struggle with, men, I struggle with. This, this is nothing new. Joseph struggled with. David struggled with. Adam struggled with. This is, this is where we're human, and so there's this struggle. Number four, God never. God is faithful. He never abandons you in temptation because he is faithful. You are never alone. Number five, God never permits any temptation to go beyond what you are able. And number six, God always makes in every temptation a way of escape. Number seven, God always limits every temptation so that you will be able to bear it. Jesus held the weight of every temptation and he felt it like we don't feel it because he never caved an ounce. Bruce Wilkinson says this, opportunity may only knock once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Deal with lust personally. Deal with lust radically. Now we're going to talk about what Jesus is saying. Cut your hand off, gouge your eye out. He is not talking about that physically because that doesn't solve the problem. 
It's shocking language because he's talking about the destructive nature of sexual sin. Get right with God at all costs. That's what Jesus is saying. A third century scholar actually took Jesus' teaching literally, origin, and he made himself a eunuch. Aggressive circumcision. The Council of Nicaea, AD 325, said, no, that is not a Christian practice. We're not doing that. That's not what Jesus is talking about, and they banned that barbaric. What is Jesus saying by deal with sin radically? Don't procrastinate from dealing with lust. Don't hang out with it like Pharaoh did. One more night with the frogs. Just give me one more night, Moses. No, deal with it. Don't procrastinate. And be proactive in protecting against moments that you are weak. Get ahead of the game. Find your weak spots and get ahead of it. Deal with lust and all sin. Deal with it immediately. Our hunger and thirst for righteousness is one of our greatest assurances from the Holy Spirit that we are children of God. God will finish what he begins in us. So deal with lust personally, radically, and immediately. I'm talking right now. Psalm 1611 You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pornography can't do that. An immoral relationship can't do that. A promotion, a new house, a new car, a new relationship, a new whatever, it can't give you this. Show me who has to offer a joy that is complete and never ends. That's the invitation, is go to the greatest pleasure. It's God. Adultery, lust, and our heart. Our actions, our thoughts, and our attitudes. God cares about it all. Why? Because he cares about you. He cares about me. My prayer is for you, for everyone who is listening this morning, that you know God and you live in the light of his presence. You know him and you live in the light of his presence and his holiness and you know him as father, that you fight temptation and you live in holiness. That's my prayer. But here's the reality, beloved. This is not just a prayer for you. This isn't me telling you with a long wagging finger at your nose. I need you to pray for me and to pray for my family because if the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified that I didn't do what I told other people they should do. We're in this fight together. John Piper gives an an acronym, okay? If we're gonna deal with our sin, personally, radically, and immediately. Anthem, it's gonna come up on the screen. And I'm gonna make this available to you. I've already put this out on the prayer time this morning. 
I want to make this available because we, want, we need help in these areas. Letter A, to think through anthem. When you're tempted, avoid as much as possible and reasonable the sights and situations that arouse unfitting desire. Don't go there. If you struggle by what comes on TV at late at night, don't stay up late at night alone in the man cave. Get out of the man cave. Burn the man cave down if that's the place where sin is just hanging out. Welcome back. Holy Spirit just had to edit some things in my mind there. I want to say to that kind of a welcome. And say no to every lustful thought within five seconds. Don't delay. Don't think about it. Don't dwell. Get out of there. Do what Joseph did. T, turn the mind forcibly toward Christ as a superior satisfaction. H, hold the promise and pleasure of Christ firmly in your mind until it pushes the other images out. E, enjoy a superior satisfaction. And M, move into a useful activity away from the idleness and other vulnerable behaviors. See you, Mrs. Potiphar. I got a, I got a stable out there to clean. And it's better for me to be out there than it is in here. Matter of fact, it smells better out there because it smells better in here. And it cost him his job but he was faithful to the Lord. So let me ask you that question. What's your next step? I knew we weren't going to get done with this sermon in 30 minutes. A sermon is every person's battle. And my prayer for you, I love you. I can't see the people watching online. I love you. I want us to know the joy of the Lord and have victory. How can we help you? If this is an area and you say, you know what? Jesus said to deal with it radically. We'll pray with you today. We'll walk through this together with you. Let us help you. Take the next step of obedience. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for you, the work of your spirit. Lord, we need your help and we cannot do this on our own. So Father, we pray with the psalmist, Lord, search me, search us, oh God. And right now, know our hearts. Try me, oh Lord. Try me and know my thoughts. And Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me, lead us, lead this church, lead your people in the way of life that is everlasting. And to the person who is right now overcome in shame and in guilt, Father, oh, I pray that they'll find the healing in Christ, that they would turn and trust in him, Father, I pray that you'll give us the ability by your spirit to deal with our sin, personally deal with it, deal with it radically and deal with it right now immediately. Father, this is the altar upon which you died, the cross, and we need to come to that altar and lay down our sin and lay down our pride and lay down our shame and see you, Lord Jesus, high and lifted up. 
the glory of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.